Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Nico Franks. We hope you're safe and well, staying positive and testing negative. Today, we hear from Chloe Barraclough, an interactive producer at Aardman who has spent the past year working remotely from New Zealand for the iconic UK animation studio. And Matt Bartho, head of programming at Discovery-owned New Zealand Broadcaster 3 about his content needs. When COVID-19 hit around this time last year, Ardman Interactive producer Chloe Barraclough was on sabbatical in New Zealand and deliberating whether or not to come home or stay put. Chloe and Ardman decided on the latter, so I spoke to her about the company's activities in the interactive space, working at the intersection of games and TV, and, with more and more of our world going virtual, whether the pandemic might provide a boost to virtual reality. First off, however, I asked Chloe how she came to be working remotely for the Bristol-based company Down Under in Auckland, and what it's been like juggling time zones for the past year. I was lucky enough to be given the opportunity to come over here um, to travel and actually do a yoga instructor course for six months, way back in autumn 2019. And then I was originally due to come back to the UK at the end of March 2020, and we all know what happened around that time. So yeah, due to come back to the office uh, beginning of April, um, back to Arben, but with multiple flights cancelled and the whole country here and in t- indeed the rest of the world going into lockdown, it started to become a little bit uh, difficult to get back home. So yeah, after three or four cancelled flights and a lot of actual conflicting emotions as to what to do, you're getting, you know, kind of conflicting messages, get home, don't go home, it's, you know, don't travel unless it's essential and trying to work out, you know, where the best place is to be right now, you know, if you should be with family and friends back home or in the kind of relative safety of New Zealand or whether I can even get back safely. So after many logistical and operational chats with my boss back in the UK, um, they, they've been absolutely brilliant Ardman, at kind of getting people working remotely in general, but, you know, making it work for me, working very, very remotely over here. So, um, yeah, we both agreed that despite the challenges, I should start back work as an interactive producer here. So like the rest of the team working from home, but very remotely. So I'm, I'm here now feeling very lucky and very fortunate to be riding out the pandemic in, in the relative safety of New Zealand, but working some very strange hours. Uh, so yeah, probably a slight over-reliance on caffeine. <laughs> well, you're in the right place for caffeine in New Zealand. They, they do good coffee. So your role, that's usually working with a team, you know, lots of kind of face-to-face um, interaction in normal times. How are you balancing the uh, the time difference and making sure that you know you're keeping in touch with your team yeah certainly comes with its challenges that's for sure fortunately I work with some very talented and enthusiastic and passionate people so that certainly makes my day-to-day job easier I kind of work in two shifts at the moment so I um, I get up in the morning as as uh, as late as I can do because invariably I've finished work very late the night before and I'll kind of smash out three or four hours in my daytime, which is which is actually really great because um, it is completely undistracted and obviously no Zoom calls with any people from UK because they're all asleep. And I managed to get kind of the heavy lifting done. So, you know, looking at big budgets and schedules and stuff that really requires kind of, you know, your head and concentration and usually kind of pick up the stuff that's happened the night before or rather the morning before in the UK from calls that I may have had. So being able to address any actions that come out of that 
and then kind of the latter part of my day so I might have a little break in the afternoon do some gardening go for a walk in Auckland and try and enjoy some of the freedoms that we have over here have some nice coffee then I'll kind of pick up work in the evening so starting again usually around sort of 9 p.m this time in 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 New Zealand which kind of coincides with 9 a.m in the UK depending on what time of the year we are unfortunately at the moment it's 13 hours ahead so uh previously I was starting about 8 p.m which wasn't too bad uh, and now I start about 10 so uh yeah depending on what the time zones are doing um and then I'll kind of pack in all my um contact hours in into that time to that space so you know it's usually as with most people at the moment back to back zoom calls um making sure I'm working with all the kind of the right people in my team making sure they're all appraised and have um everything they need to be carrying out their day um the time the time difference usually means that I have to uh kind of Usually I have to be one or two steps ahead in, in normal time zones, but actually three or four over here, you know, thinking, OK, well, what are the possible blockers or issues that might come up for any of my team members? Um, you know, I'm making sure that I've sort of thought about and troubleshooted any 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 issues that might come up, making sure the right people are talking to the right, right people and everyone has the tools to be getting the best job done, really. So, yeah, kind of thinking far ahead and, and uh, yeah a day ahead but I mean for me actually it's quite quite good as a producer it means I'm always kind of one day ahead of the schedule which makes me very happy <laughs> yeah it's kind of like a your, uh, your magic trick you know you're, you've, you've time traveled yes. almost exactly exactly that's the way I like to think of it <laughs> and so lots of people will know Ardman for its tv series and movies like Wallace and Gromit and Shaun the Sheep but it's got a really busy interactive arm. So tell me a bit about some of the company's uh, work in the interactive space. It's quite funny, actually. Whenever I kind of introduce what I do to new people I meet, um, I say I work for Ardman and, and sometimes they know who Ardman is, and but invariably I'll say, oh, no, I work for Wallace and Gromit and Sean the Sheep. They say, ah, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, we know them. And um, and I honestly think some people think Wallace and Gromit own the company. Um, but mind you, I'm just perpetuating this, but um, I think it's rather charming. Um, but yeah, so in the kind of interactive space, um, as an interactive producer, you know, I just sort of how that fits into the rest of Ardman, a company most renowned for its stop motion, as you say, um, we, we actually kind of create a sort of mixed portfolio of animated entertainment. So... Um, more so our interactive department has been going for around 10 years I think now and it's kind of a just another arm to you know tell those use our kind of storytelling expertise to produce content across different and um, diverse and different media so our interactive content is just another medium really for Ardman to tell stories create compelling characters and engage with our audience um, in fact um, at the moment I'm actually managing a um, project um, which is in a kind of new immersive space for one of our famous furry characters um, so we're exploring new production processes sort of looking at ways we can translate our traditional pre-rendered linear content to be used in a non-linear uh, real-time story world. So it's really exciting for the team and a chance for Arvin to work in a new narrative space. Um, and I think we're kind of always looking at ways to blur the kind of traditional boundaries between screen and cinema and um, opening up a new narrative space. So yeah, super exciting project to be working on. And so is that involving game engines? Is that what's allowing you to do that? Yeah, so we um, we are working, yeah, we, we have kind of traditionally over the last three or four years been working into Unity and um, now we're looking at 
using Unreal Engine to um, do some sort of real time rendering. And, you know, this the the new immersive technology that comes out is just absolutely incredible. And I think it, you know, it gives Arvin the opportunity to to explore sort of new new worlds and new environments and new ways to kind of get our animated content into a different space. So, yeah, it's um, it's 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 I think the exciting thing about my job as an interactive producer is um, kind of always being, you know, every every project is different um, and invariably we'll be using new technology so it's a big challenge so it's a whole new kind of terminology it's a whole new workflow that you might need to adapt to but I find that really exciting and I think those challenges are a real positive thing because we're kind of forever learning and adapting our our talent in-house to kind of explore new routes to to create that content recently we've been working on a mental health um, campaign with for teenagers um, and bringing awareness um, for them to to be more aware of their mental well-being and we did that with um, animated uh, characters that tell a story and we actually co-created with 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 the teenagers that it's actually focused on and, and targeting so that's kind of one educational area and similarly we have kind of learning time with Timmy so that's using our Timmy character who's part of the show the sheep world and um, to teach English to um, on a global scale working with the British Council um, and we, we've also been working on something called Story Sign which um, is to support kids that are deaf to be able to read and it uses a little animated character called Star who can uh, sign language the story. So really lovely and I think you know it just echoes what I was saying about having such varied projects you know you'll be working with different clients, different partnerships um, looking, exploring different ways to, to build and grow up brands and, and create new content, be it interactive, be it um, digital, be it you know linear. So yeah, lots of very varied projects, and it's always exciting to see what's going to happen and what will be delivered next. Yeah, mental health and educational content are two two things that are definitely front of mind as a result of the pandemic. How has mm. the the pandemic in 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 other ways impacted? what you do and the way children are, are consuming content. You've seen a rise in uh, the popularity of console games, for example, and um, more interest in having educational resources that support that homeschooling that's been taking place, um, you know, in the UK and globally. And, you know, we just, we're, we're always open to explore ways we can we can support that you know particularly looking at learning resources we can we can create we're, we're I'm currently working on an app at the moment which is to support budding animators to uh, create their own animations so anything we can do that kind of uses our talent and expertise at Ardman to to support people at home and um, you know both in in their educational way and also mental health and well-being um, and similarly um, um, you know anything we can do that that helps families socialize and, and share some special time you know at home and you know even if it is just watching tv together and watching one of our episodes you know that's all something that you know really helps so yeah it's been uh, it's been a huge learning curve I think for, for everyone at Ardman and, and hopefully you know we're, we're able to kind of give something back a little bit so yeah working as you are kind of at the intersection between games and linear tv content and everything around it 
Um, why do you think it's important that an animation studio should have an interactive department? Because not, not every animation studio does. I think in, in terms of the bigger picture, this is probably a good question for our MD, um, in terms of why Armand have an interactive department. But at least from my perspective, um, I'd always want to make sure as part of Ardman, we use the best people for projects and our production productions um, from across the company. So regardless of whether they come from an interactive background or um, CGI or stop motion, I'd always hope to bring the right talent from across the company for the, for the job at hand. Um, indeed, we've got plenty of it. So I think, um, although we have you know, uh, content that is interactive, Really, it's about us producing stuff that, that tells good stories and, and has strong characters at its heart. And I think in terms of producing interactive content with, you know, there's so much new emerging technology that's coming out um, at the moment. There are big opportunities to explore bringing um, our animated content into new narrative spaces and, and spaces in which the audience can interact with the story. So kind of looking at it in a new kind of a new space, being able to watch, play and even performing with the characters that are part of that story. So for me, that's really exciting. And I think, um, you know, regardless of the platform or, or format, um, it's always to make sure that we have kind of lovable stories and and uh, lovable characters at the heart of whatever we do and um, making sure that's kind of front and centre of everything. So whatever that kind of roadmap looks like for, for us, I think, you know, it's 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 nothing but exciting for us. And so, yeah, looking forward to what the future holds. How about virtual reality? Because that's been something that was kind of bubbling away for a good few years. And then I think mm. that was 2018 or 2019 was meant to be the year it broke through and it, it didn't quite happen. Mm. But what's the what's the kind of industry view on virtual reality at the moment? Yeah, I mean, with all these trends, um, you know, the industry can only make predictions on, on how that's going to go. And um, and certainly we, we've created content and um, experiences in the virtual reality world. Um, and I think, at least at least from, from, from my point of view, you know, there are so many kind of barriers to getting the right tools and kit for virtual reality it's you know it requires having a headset it requires having um you know uh controllers and the space to be able to to take to, for that to take place so i think when although it, it it was starting and it still is to to gain popularity in kind of the commercial space i think for um, kind of at home it's quite difficult to have all that set up to be able to to get all the parts and as it's always evolving you know it's, it's quite difficult to stay ahead of the curve and and have all the right kits so perhaps that's something to do with it um, and I think you know that there's there's still space for it and I think we'll we'll see that technology and that kit grow to adapt to its kind of domestic audience as well and so I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and, and again it's just you know for us it's it's another way to tell that that interactive story so we'd certainly embrace it chloe barraclough u.s factual giant discovery completed its acquisition of new zealand broadcaster three from MediaWorks in late 2020 giving it a major presence in the country's free-to-air television market including entertainment channels three and bravo as well as the streaming service three now I caught up with Three's Head of Programming, Matt Bartho, to ask him about COVID's impact on Scheduler's willingness to experiment with old and new content, and 
With New Zealand's COVID alert levels fluctuating at short notice at the moment, the importance of having a well of finished programming on standby to tap into. But before we discuss what kind of content he's looking for, we began by talking about how the balance between local and acquired international programming is shifting on three's schedule, as Matt looks to draw in 25 to 54 year olds and their kids in the evenings. I mean, when we look at the schedule in terms of prime time, local content is always king for us, and, and that's really what Kiwi audiences resonate with, and we've got like a fantastic local um, team commissioning you know, shows um, headed by Sue Woodfield and her, and her team, who are always kind of looking at, you know, really big multi-night formats, um, shows further down the week, factual shows, and the rest of the schedule, obviously because you can't continue to do local shows because it's, it's expensive content, even though, you know, we'd like to in terms of that being a really key driver for ratings, um, is made up of, of the, the rest of it, so acquisitions. The Australian stuff generally resonates um, probably next best, just down from local. It's funny, you know, a, a few years ago, Merit at First Sight Australia was like, the biggest show, basically the biggest show on television, and that's that's you know that's an Aussie show, competing with some some of the of the biggest um, shows around, and um, yeah, I think sometimes we like to you know look at Aussies and they they are we do have kind of a, a similarity there with audiences, and at, at the moment we've got Holy Moly Australia on, so yeah, I think that's that's the next cab down for us, and the US stuff, generally for us it tends to be drama, um, big kind of US dramas that. When you're really at 8.30 and 9.30 competing with the likes of the SVODs and those kind of platforms, you know, that's often what people are going to watch is kind of drama on, the, on those, those platforms. So we are kind of competing at 8.30, 9.30 with kind of US drama uh, from, from networks. Um, and really at 8.30 and 9.30 also the premium factual. Premium factual has kind of become, you know, back in the day we just called it factual and now it's premium factual was shows like Emergency from Channel 9, which um, was, done, was, was made by WTFN. Um, kind of that like glossy type content um, sits really well at 8.30 and, and 9.30, um, yeah, you can get a bit more hard edge. So we, we just stripped uh, three nights uh, a couple of weeks ago, Cocaine Living with the Cartels, which was a Channel 5 series. And that, that was huge. It was above channel, channel average for us at, at 9.30. And I guess, yeah, competing with, you know, where, what people would go to with, when, they're, when they're changing other channels or whether they're going off to other platforms, like that stripping that kind of content is how they're watching it. Um, on the SVODs anyway, I'm kind of a you know, couple of episodes in a row. So Monday to Wednesday was a great opportunity to, to try that. Married at First Sight Australia, that seems to really be catching fire in the UK Incredible. at the moment. Incredible, yeah. I mean, I've, I've got friends, I've got cousins in the UK and, you know, they're putting up, you know, screenshots of themselves watching it and stuff. And, and, and on E4, right, it's, it's doing incredible, like, numbers. Just When I think that's something that's born out of COVID, as well, because I don't know if you would have looked at that in a non-COVID world. Um, and for us, I mean, there was a couple of decisions last year. We lost a lot of our local productions through COVID, um, the block, New Zealand and Dance with the Stars, and had to quickly jump on other pieces of content. And a show that we tried has been around for yonks, like 15 years, on Channel 10 called Bondo Rescue. We put it in Wednesday at 7.30, kind of in April, right when kind of New Zealand had its first lockdown. Um, and that was just absolutely like unbelievable numbers for that show um, and it ended up staying in that slot nine, another nine months and still continually doing good numbers so while COVID's been like horrific for a lot of things um, in terms of like get, maybe changing the mindset that you have around a few a few pieces of content and actually maybe trying things and having the ability to try things when in the past you know things are going really well you don't often have the 
chance to try stuff like that. So yeah, like E4's had to do with with Marin at First Sight Australia, and it's it's cool. It's cool to see that you now resonating. So yeah, Married at First Sight Australia, popular on so three now the the on demand service yeah. and the Britney Spears documentary that you recently yeah. acquired. So how's that been doing? Amazing. So we. Um, by, so we had a we had a forecast, you know, we buy we buy a show and we do a bit of a, a stream forecast of what you know to, to make it all kind of work in a business case. We eclipsed that forecast, the entire forecast, in the first like six days of it being on our on our service through now. So um, incredible. I mean, and it's also we've not done a lot of um, AVOD only or AVOD first opportunities. Um, we've been largely a catch up service. So this is really. Um, and I know Discovery, you know, it's, it's Discovery Plus and, and all that around the, around the world. They've launched in UK and US and whatnot. Like it's a it's a really cool thing for us to do this and to see kind of um, it do so well. And yeah, now we have a chance to have a linear player as well to you know bring in the people who are, who'd watch it on linear as well. So there's it's just it's a really exciting thing. I mean, it's got everyone here really excited. And I think it was was lucky to get on it so early. I think we were one of the first territories outside the US to kind of actually secure the, the deal. And I know there's, there's crazy bidding wars going on after that all around the world. So yeah, it's awesome. And um, yeah, hopefully a lot more of that to kind of come. And what gave you that insight that you thought it was going to be a, a show or a documentary worthwhile acquiring? I think there was a lot of publicity about it in the lead up to it. And I didn't actually know who was selling it, and I happened to be. I mean, we buy Married um, at First Sight Australia from from Red Arrow, and so um, happened to be talking to um, my contact at Red Arrow, who's who sent it across, ju- just as it was premiering on Hulu, actually. So I got to watch it and kind of that night, um, and then yeah, just make a decision that it was, you know, there was a, there's press bubbling about it, and I already kind of knew about the Free Britney move- movement and all that kind of stuff. So I think you just know when a piece of content is going to resonate like that level, and I think. The publicity behind it all actually does a lot of the job in telling people what it is. So they, they already are looking for it and trying to find where it is. And it, for us, it was about trying to jump in that bubble of publicity to get it on as fast as we could to to then yeah make sense of it. If we were playing it now or playing it further on, I think you, you could have risked it. a bunch of people who have already found it somewhere and have watched it and maybe it wouldn't have done as well. How about UK content? Because... Obviously, UK has a rich history in exporting its shows, um, but we're also seeing the popularity of local content in territories um, grow, while UK content is potentially harder to to get your hands on with things like BritBox, but also companies like Netflix commissioning their own UK originals. How how has your relationship with UK programming changed? The hardest thing for us with UK content has been drama. We've just not had a lot of success uh, in recent years with the dramas that we have tried, um, which is really disappointing because, I mean, UK drama is, is incredible. And I think it could just be our our viewer is used to kind of the procedural US crime drama type stuff that we generally air at a kind of 8.30, 9.30. Um, but, I mean, the chase here... Uh, I mean, you'll you know this being here, it's, it's basically one of the biggest shows. It's kind of, it's got an, a really probably abnormal following for how small New Zealand is for that show. And so I think that has really um, highlighted the need for the rest of the networks to kind of actually find a game show. And I mean, UK's got such an incredible history in, in game shows. There's, 
you know, there's tons coming out all the time and Mike McIntyre's doing the wheel and there's all these ones just constantly like kind of coming out of the woodwork. For us, I guess it's also about volume because um, these kind of shows generally play as like a, as a news lead or an early afternoon opportunity. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's one thing, you know, game shows I think with, you know, the shows like The Chase have kind of really seen a resurgence here in, in recent years and you know whereas pre in previous years I don't I don't think we were looking at, looking at them as much um, and yeah the UK does just incredible game shows that just you know it becomes kind of addictive television it's it's it's, a, it's, a, it's exactly what you want for a, for a news lead yeah. Are you finding it trickier to get your hands on some of the, the very very high profile UK dramas that are coming through that maybe a few years ago might have been a bit easier to get get your hands on because of things like BritBox and uh, and Netflix originals. You know, when there are these ones, um, they they generally yeah they go for high, quite high fees, and you are competing against more people than yeah like you say a couple of years ago you would have been competing against less. Now you might have multiple offers in the market for those shows, um, and the the thing is you can you can now. With different platforms, you can you can add different windows and different rights across things. You can you can value it up better across your offering. So, I think with the really high, high level kind of premium drama, um, it generally does go to the SVODs or whatnot because of, and I think also because if you think about our audience, we're at three, we're a very broad twenty five fifty four audience, and you know some of these shows which. Um, you know, people go, oh, everyone's watching Game of Thrones, everyone's watching this. Actually, like, and in reality, if we put that on, it, it, would, it just wouldn't do well. Like, it's just not broad enough. 7.30s, really, we try to focus, apart, apart from Merit First Sight, on the, kind of the key household shop with kids, kind of, if you think of The Block and Lego Masters and Ninja Warrior and those kind of multi-night formats. And then the stuff that's just off the back of that, I guess, needs to kind of bridge that zone. Um, but these, yeah, these shows, Big Little Lies and stuff that people just said, you know, everyone's watching this stuff, like, you know, and everyone's, I'm sure, always suggesting stuff to you. You have to watch this, you have to watch this. It's amazing, and and it plays so well as like a, as a box set or as as it's, I guess, sometimes as it intended to be, not always. Um, but it's hard for us to even be in the, in the running, and then it's the, then it's the question for us is like, do we want to be in the running for some of that stuff? Because, yeah, it's it's hard on linear to. To pull in audiences to that kind of content when you're trying to be big and broad and cover males and cover females and and really hit that sweet spot. Since the new ownership with Discovery coming in, has that affected your acquisition strategy at all? I mean, we're we're very early into the world of of um, you know integrating with Discovery. Um, they just they've been so supportive of of everything we've done and and obviously you know they bought us for a reason. Um, yeah, it's it's really exciting to have like such a huge content company kind of supporting and and, and behind us um, and yeah we've got some really we've done some really good deals on a couple of our kind of key franchises for, for a couple of years and stuff so you know there's there's some ex exciting kind of you know looking to the future there's, there's, there's a lot of excitement around everyone here to be honest about about you know the discovery ownership for us at three year and any of those franchises that you can talk about um, it's just renewing a lot of our um, existing ones that that we have had for a number of years you know if, if they if they get renewed into the future we have options to continue on with them um yeah because that's that's always the challenge is when you get onto a really really good show that's a staple in the schedule you need to you know keep keep holding it because <laughs> yeah lots of you know people start 
looking at it and if, you, if you're not tied up, you know, it, it gets difficult to kind of, as I said before, with lots of different people in the market now um, in terms of being able to bid for these shows to kind of hold them. Any holes in the schedule that you've got at the moment? Any Anything that you're particularly looking for? We were talking before about being reactive. Um, are there any kind of big kind of trends happening at the moment that you'd like a show that could kind of link in with that or anything in, in that sense? I mean, we always... We always have gaps, you know, when we are, we're kind of acquiring nine, nine months out, you know, so, so once we kind of have assessed like local and, and explored all those avenues, um, you, you know, like we, we go through as a, as a content team with Sue and I just all, and all kind of working through like the plans and the splitting off the budgets and figuring all that out, then, then we can really get into, you know, what's left for this and, and those times like MIP, MIP TV and MIPCOM and whatnot are, are really good opportunities to kind of go, let's look six, nine months out and start going into those meetings saying we're looking for this and we're looking for that and we're looking for this and yeah, yeah at the moment I can tell you we're looking for um, uh, kind of an international multi-night reality show, um, looking at a couple of dramas, opportunity for dramas and always really looking for factual whether it's 8.30 or 9.30. Um, yeah, like I said the 8.30 stuff just really needs to be kind of really on that cusp of that household shopper audience which is flowing out of the big reality shows um, and the 930 stuff can be a bit more gritty like the cocaine one was for us. Um, and how are you finding adapting to a world where those events that you mentioned are happening virtually? Yeah, I think it's, I was saying just on a meeting just before that I that I said with a distributor, I said I feel like, you know, we do meet at those markets and they, if they're, if they're Australian um, salespeople, they often come over here for a dinner or lunch or and a meeting a couple of times a year, but I feel like, you know, it, it's it's become easier um, to probably have more conversations, you know, I might not have called them during during the week or might not have, like, we might have had tea up a meeting or whatever, but I can just randomly call someone now and it doesn't seem, probably, I know they're probably at home, it's probably a little, like, I'm not, not you know, back in the day I'd be like, oh, I don't know, I'm, I'm like, are they just disrupting their day and, like, you, you're just going to, I guess you don't care anymore because this, this is the reality, is like, everyone is right with their computer all the time and they're right on their phones all the time and like you just know they are so yeah I guess it's challenge the time zones is challenging so that's the biggest challenge I've, I've found with um I've got a couple of young kids and balancing you know the, the London calls and whatnot um it can it can get a bit challenging um yeah because you know a bunch a bunch of distributors are in London a bunch of them in Sydney a bunch of them in the US they're all over the shop so it's like there's time zones all up the wazoo to kind of figure out how to juggle that. So yeah, and then I, and then you know I feel like Mipcom it's like a dedicated time, but London Screenings Week has become this kind of thing now, a definite thing. And there's BBC Showcase before that, and then there's like what will Mip TV be at the same? You know, like it, it's kind of and people are holding back content and trying to have meetings. It's like are you meeting at London Screening Week? No, I'm delaying until Mip TV. And it's like oh okay, just you go try and figure all that out. Whereas I feel like Mipcom's definitely like that time in October is like. There's four weeks there, the block out your diary, and that's, you know, and then there's the screening that goes with all of that afterwards, which is the challenge as well when um, when you come back from one of those events or, yeah, you you got a lot of stuff to watch. And just finally, we're seeing in New Zealand, now thankfully, coronavirus under control with the occasional change in alert levels. Have you got a, a kind of pool of programming in backup now for very quick kind of schedule changes changes and things like that and and how how deep is that pool 
Yeah, we. That's that's a very good question because uh, before before coronavirus, before we knew what that was, um, before it impacted all of our schedules, we were very much of the of the mindset of just acquiring for the schedule. So we weren't acquiring things in backup. We weren't just seeing a great show and just buying it and just leaving it on the shelf. Like you know, we always put something straight in the schedule. That was that was our kind of philosophy. But I guess you're right. Like you need to start thinking about having, um, yeah shows and reserves if, if, if something, yeah, production gets pulled all of a sudden, you know, they can't deliver a show because of, you know, it's been shut down, production's been shut down, whatever, whatever the kind of indication is. So, yeah, we're always kind of wanting to have, like, yeah, a scope of content or at least have an understanding and a knowledge of if I get asked tomorrow, like, you need to go and buy this many episodes on this many nights and to cover this gap, you kind of know what that show would be. Um, so, yeah, that's it's maybe not acquiring that show yet, but at least having the knowledge that it's there and have maybe having a bit of a database of, of that type of stuff that you can quickly jump on. Like, I mean, a great example that um, we bought through coronavirus as well was Cannonball UK. I mean, that's a series that aired on ITV three years ago, you know, and, and we kind of threw that, threw that in because it fitted the brief of household shopper friendly, kind of, you know, it was in the middle of winter really when, like, you actually want to be at the beach and want to see all the water and you know so it was it's a it was a cool like another yeah cool little opportunity and and distributors were also probably more open to selling content as well because i mean they're going through the same thing we're going through it like they've, they've got budgets to hit and they're, they're trying to sell shows and for them it probably yeah they, they probably were lucky to have a bit of back catalog on some stuff that maybe hadn't sold before to actually you know maybe fill some of the void that with the production ceasing and whatnot was happening so yeah, it was a win-win for both of us, I guess, to, to, to buy shows like that. Matt Bartho. That's all for this episode. There'll be more from the podcast tomorrow, but in the meantime, stay safe and stay up to date with all the latest developments by following C21 online, on mobile, and on social media. Thanks for listening.